Welcome to the X29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. This past summer in the United States, X29 hosted three pastors and wives retreat gatherings there in Vail, Colorado. It was an incredible time of fellowship, of rest and renewal. And I want you guys just to hear from a few of the pastors that were there and their wives about how God how God really ministered to them and how they were blessed during the retreat this past year. And I hope that encourages you to come next year to come to all of the X29 events that we're putting on so you can be refreshed, renewed, encouraged. Just just listen to what some of these brothers and sisters had to say. Hey guys, Alan Duty from New Life Baptist Church in College Station, Texas, along with my wife. Kendra Duty, also from College Station, Texas. We have really been blessed here this week in Beaver Creek uh, in a lot of ways, but I think uh, the greatest joy has been sitting in these sessions and processing what has gone on for the last year um, with men and women who have been in the trenches and just hearing, I think, Dave's session today about joy and how our joy can be had despite our circumstances, despite what we're feeling inside, because our joy is not dependent on those things, but dependent on Christ and his finished work in our lives. It was such a blessing to me to hear from the wives panel. It was honestly one of the the most honest conversations I've heard on the topic and so glad to be um, just partnered together with these wives who understand me, understand us, understand our our context and what we're doing, and they're there to encourage and, and help us along the way. Uh, this is Chris Hemmelman from First City Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and like a lot of folks coming here and being able to rest in the mountains has been an incredible blessing, and so uh, thankful for this opportunity. Jake Peterson, uh, River City Church, Fargo, North Dakota. And uh, one of the most encouraging things from this time has been just the opportunity given and almost like lovingly forced on us to rest and to pause and to be able to reconnect with guys and their wives that I haven't seen in two years. And so that's been super great to reconnect and refresh and ready me to kind of head back into uh, life and ministry here in just a couple days. Hey, this is Ryan Ross from City Church in Melissa, Texas, and uh, so blessed by um, this gathering. Um, The most impactful thing, I think, of the conference is just the opportunity that we've had to rest uh, with my wife and just enjoy fellowship with other brothers and sisters um, in a very common place and uh, be able to enjoy one another's uh, company and then go take a nap. Praise God for it. I'm Tyler Jones from Gospel Life Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and uh, the conference for my wife, Catherine, and I, it's just been, it's been a great experience. We really love the relaxed schedule and just the time to connect with other people, especially in our region. I think it was, you know, last year was tough, and so I don't think we realized how much in common we had with other people who were going through similar things. And so it's been a really great opportunity to relax, to abide in Christ. You know, we talked about the joy and ministry this morning. It's just been a real blessing. So we're thankful for it and thankful for our church that enables us to come and be a part of this. So, Hi, I'm Bruce Wesley. I'm at Clear Creek Community Church in League City, Texas. 
and uh, really just being at the Pastors and Wives Retreat has been so refreshing after the pandemic to get, actually get to be with people, a lot of people that you know we love and have known through the years. It's so refreshing to my soul. But it's also inspiring to meet new church planters who, in spite of a pandemic, have been planting churches and investing in people. And I just so admire and appreciate those guys and uh, just to get to partner with them in this work that God's called us to. We love our pastors. We appreciate you here at X29. I mean, you are X29. And so we just want to give a word of thanks and encouragement to all of our X29 pastors and leaders um, and their families. Thank you for the amazing work and sacrifice that you do to serve our King and to see churches planted all around the world. And we wanted to share a message today from the, one of the retreats from Pastor Ray Ortland. And I know you'll be so encouraged as he exhorts you to cling to Jesus and to know that Jesus is right there with you. So I hope you enjoy this message from Ray, and I hope you are appreciated and loved and encouraged. We love you. We support you. Thank you, pastors, for all that you do. I'd like to begin by saying something that has nothing to do with our passage. Um, Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Gospel doctrine is what the gospel says. Truth. Gospel culture is what the gospel does. It creates beauty. Our privilege as husband husband and wife teams, wherever we go, is both to preach gospel doctrine and to nurture gospel culture. That is the tone, the feel, the vibe, the intangibles, the nuances, All those glories that culture is, the relationships that embody and make visible the truth of the doctrine. If our churches preach gospel doctrine but don't embody gospel culture, our churches will inadvertently, unknowingly, unsay by their reality what they're saying by their ideas. And reality trumps ideas every day. So this is not an either or, this is both and. If we have uh, gospel doctrine without gospel culture, uh, that is not gospel doctrine. Francis Schaeffer used to speak of the two orthodoxies. Orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community. We should have the same care, attention, and urgency about nurturing community as we do about sticking to the truth of the Bible. The same urgency. Now, what we want is our churches both proclaiming the truth of the gospel and embodying the beauty of the gospel such that all over our country, it starts feeling like Jesus himself has come to town. That's, I'll give my life to that. 
if, if, if my calling is just to manage another religious institution, I'm out. I got no time. But I'd love to be a part of some truth and beauty in a world of fraudulence and ugliness. And that's how you feel too. Now, gospel doctrine, gospel culture, where is that in the Bible? Where is it not in the Bible? It's all over the place. <clears throat> okay, don't turn to it. Here's just Psalm 16.3 for starters, okay? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. <laughs> As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, that's a verse in the Psalms, parallelism, right? So you got an A line, you got a B line throughout the Psalms. If you have a C line too, that's a big deal. So the A line says, check this out. B line says, and what's more? And the C line says, have you thought about this? So it builds. The A line, as for the saints in the land, the saints, you have been set apart to God. You belong. That means a lot to me. Every time I walk in my mental crazy, every time I walk into a room, there are people there, I walk in thinking, I don't belong here. Nobody's going to like me. And I'm, I'm back in middle school. <laughs> Emotionally. What if God Almighty in heaven above says to me, you belong. You belong to me, therefore you belong everywhere. That's what he says to you. You've been set apart to God. You belong. As for the saints in the land, okay, Old Testament code language for in Christ. Union with Christ. Through the cross, God has so removed every barrier. You could not be more deeply involved. You could not be more brought in. You could not be more included. You are not just near Christ. You are not just before Christ. You are in Christ. Wherever you go in this world, Philippians chapter 1, to the saints who are in Christ and in Philippi. Right now we are in Avon and in Christ. We're always in two places simultaneously. We've got resources this world doesn't even understand. we got a new address. we got a new zip code. It's not going away. As for the saints in the land, that's the A line, B line, they are the excellent. We don't perceive one another with the eyes of negative scrutiny, finding fault. We perceive one another with the eyes of generosity and wonder and rejoicing. They are the excellent ones. So you, you're in a conversation with a new brother, new sister. You just ask obvious questions like, so what's your story? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to high school? What'd you do then? What are you excited about in your life now? What do you hate about your life now? And the excellence just starts exploding out of this person. The person doesn't even know. But you're sitting there, standing there, and you're going, wow, God is in this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's showing right now. As for the saints of the land, you are the excellent ones. You're not hard to read. It's a great tragedy when a Christian is hard to read. You are not that tragedy. I saw a brother this morning at 
had a t-shirt on and said, pray. So he walks into Starbucks wearing that t-shirt. How crazy is that? <laughs> that man's a Christian. <laughs> Excellent. Easy to read. Obvious. Okay, C-line. Ooh. Now, that's all gospel doctrine, right? Here's gospel culture. That This is when I personally get outside my introverted, bookish, go-run-and-hide-from-life ray. Okay? And I cross the line deliberately. I grab myself by the scruff of the neck, and I say, Ray Orland, get over yourself. Here's an amazing human being. God has given you the privilege of knowing for crying out loud. Why would you hold back? So, in whom is all my delight. I make a personal, emotional commitment to you. And that language, in whom is all my delight, do you see that's borderline idolatrous? I mean, Jesus should be all our delight, right? But when he is, it just bleeds out. It goes far and wide. And you don't have to prove yourself to me. If you've been set apart to God and Christ is in you, the hope of glory, I have no right to hold back from you. Who do I think I am? Am I going to overrule God? All his delight is in you. Why not me too? Gospel doctrine, gospel culture. So... It spikes along the way. I mean, I can't feel this emotional intensity all the time. I really do have to run and go be with books. You know what I mean? (laughs) There's a place for that, too. (laughs) Or go hunt. By the way, I've got a question. Those pads of paper on on the tables, that's like something I could take home, right? And the little black pen, could I take that antler shed on the table? Could I? If one of them disappears, just don't say anything, okay? (laughs) So this is how, this is what we believe about ourselves and one another. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. And this is how we roll together, in whom is all my delight. We do that for Jesus' sake, and we have a blast doing it. Okay. That's what I wanted to say. Let's turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Brian, when am I supposed to shut up? Seriously, I want to know. I need to know. What's my drop-dead date? Okay, thank you. Very helpful. All right, let's turn on the jets. Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. Verses 22 through 25. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and were in danger. 
And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. This is God's word. Here's what I love about this. Real Christianity is simple. It has to be simple if it's going to work for me and for you. So why not go back to basics? Just go back to basics. Why not right now go back to who Jesus is? And who we are. And how he's going to get us through this. Faith in him is a simple, basic. Faith in Jesus is not a denominational option. It's not a personal specialty. Faith in the risen Jesus is ancient, apostolic, non-weird Christianity. It has gotten God's people through every scrape thus far, and it still works for us today. Sinclair Ferguson, in his wonderful book, Know Your Christian Life, says, Repentance and faith are the, are the twin responses to the grace of God. Repentance and faith, the twin responses to the grace of God. Our faith doesn't activate God's grace. Our faith responds to God's grace. Faith is the doorway of grace by which we enter into Christ and faith is the pathway of grace on which we walk with Christ through everything all the way into eternity. We will never find a better way than faith. <laughs> so we today, we came here because we have moved all our chips over onto his square, come what may. Because we believe he is the super reality above all lesser realities. Now, in inviting us back to the simple basic of faith today, I'm not asking us to re-up. I'm inviting us to believe that he hasn't given up. Whatever storm we're sailing through, he's not worried. He's not surprised. And he can calm any storm. In fact, he can calm us down. And that's what we really need. And then by his grace, we can keep going. We can face anything. We don't actually need to survive this. <laughs> and we're not going to. 
We don't need to go looking for it. Eventually, something bad is going to come find us and take us out. (laughs) What a release. That'll be the greatest day of our lives. We'll be released from this life. We literally have nothing to fear. Now, where in the Bible do we learn about faith? All over the Bible, right? In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 says, the key, the key to the whole biblical story is people just like us living by faith. Hebrews 11 starts out this way. This is from uh, the paraphrase by J.B. Phillips. Faith means... Now, when a sentence in the Bible starts out that way, I really want to know what the rest of that sentence says. Right? Okay. Faith means... being certain of things we cannot see. Faith means being certain of things we cannot see. So this universe we live in includes not one, but two realities. The visible reality and the invisible unseen reality. The natural world and the supernatural world, both are there. Both are real. And faith means we're going to treat both as real. The Bible says, by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. There is an invisible creation as real as this visible creation. The Nicene Creed teaches us to affirm, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things, visible and invisible. People who aren't living by faith, but are living by sight only, are trying to get by on only half of reality. No wonder everybody's angry. Life is hard enough as it is. Why make it harder by putting ourselves on a starvation diet of half-real existence? But with this world getting, in, getting at us, getting up in our face, screaming at us all the time, sometimes it squeezes us down into half of reality. The pressures of this world, the hysteria of this world, with its frustration and rage and franticness, screaming at us every day that the here and now is all we have for our lives to be okay. That's when we start freaking out. But why not live out of the whole of reality, visible and invisible? Why not treat the risen Jesus Christ as our overruling reality every day, moment by moment? The Bible teaches us to say, behold, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is in 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha is there in Dothan, and the army from Syria surrounds the city of Dothan with all their chariots and all their big dealness and all their bravado and all their tanks and missiles and stuff. And, and, and there's a, <laughs> a, a young sort of prophet in training with him, a seminarian, and he's freaking out. And Elisha says, Lord, 
Open his eyes. And the Bible says the Lord opened his eyes and he saw. It does not say he hallucinated. He saw the mountains and hills surrounding Dothan filled with horses and chariots of fire. Have you ever, you ever gotten to the place where you almost feel sorry for the devil? <laughs> He's such a loser. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We're winning. Why not enjoy it? And this seeing, God has opened our eyes. This seeing, this awareness, this consciousness, it's hard to know how to talk about it. This connection, this confidence, this defiance. The Bible calls that faith. It's why the Apostle Paul sums up practical Christian living by saying, we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, we are not afraid. We are not intimidated. We are not fooled. We're not going to get pushed around. Not that we turn a blind eye to the reality of this world. We just keep our eyes open to super reality. And our awareness of super reality is decisive for us in the here and now. We don't treat this world as the reality that redefines and belittles Jesus. We treat Jesus as the reality that redefines this world. That's living by faith, not intimidated by sight. And that's real living. That's when we're free to run like the wind. So don't give up. Those who are with you and for you are more than everything that's against you. Now we feel this way, not because we're so smart and so insightful and so spiritual, but just because God has just had such mercy on us. We're, we're just walking miracles of his grace. I mean, how did we stumble into this? I'm a complete idiot. <laughs> you know, that's the Emmanuel mantra. Back in Nashville, we say it together every now and then. It's real simple. Three parts. One, I'm a complete idiot. Two, my future is incredibly bright. Three, anyone can get in on this. If we're clinging to Jesus at all, even with weak faith, and that's every one of us. That's a miracle. God has visited your soul. God has touched you. And he's not going away. He's committed to you. He will not that, let that flame burn out. You, you know and feel deep within. You're here because... You know that Jesus is not just an historic figure way back when. You know that Jesus is not a distant figure off at the other end of the universe. It's like he does, he's not out there having to use binoculars to, or, or telescope to see you. The actual Jesus is... Here's how amazing this is. 2 Timothy 4.17, Paul says... When I made my defense before Caesar, all my friends, actually, they didn't show up that day. 
they, they found that day they had so much on their to-do list. You know, I was like, sorry, Paul, we just really wish we could be there praying for you, buddy. And, God, and Paul said, oh, may God have mercy. And then he said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So there's the Apostle Paul standing there, maybe in chains. There's Caesar on his throne, a bunch of wannabes and hangers on, you know. And, and so it's Paul's turn to speak, and he starts to speak. And he suddenly feels, oh my goodness, someone else is right here. And he feels his arm come around his shoulder and give him a squeeze, you know. And he, and he hears this voice within saying, dude, you're killing it. I am so proud of you. You just keep going. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. You take that into the pulpit. Nobody can take that away. When the risen Jesus ascended to the Father, the Bible says the disciples watched as, quote, a cloud hid him from their sight. So actually, when Jesus left this world, not much changed. All that changed was he was hidden from their sight. He's still there. He's not far off. And he's still here, not far off. And our faith, our confidence, our audacity grows as we adjust our thoughts to Jesus actually being present with us, standing by us, strengthening us moment by moment. Christian faith is not including Jesus as one factor among others. Christian faith is lovingly treating him as super reality no matter what. Some years ago, Cardinal Francis George painted the picture this way. I expect to die in bed. I expect my successor to die in prison. I expect his successor to die a martyr in the public square. And I expect his successor to pick up the pieces of a ruined civilization and slowly help rebuild as the Christian church has always done. Now, we don't know where we are in that sequence. We don't know how quickly things are moving forward. Our part today is to put our trust in the living and risen Christ who is with us and just keep by his grace, for his glory. And Satan is just going to have to cope with us. You and I are on this retreat because that's what we want. And the harder it gets, I love what you just said, Brian, about the privilege of all this. That's a game changer right there. The harder it gets, the greater the privilege. The harder it gets, the more war stories we'll swap at dinner parties in heaven with fellow veterans of victorious warfare. So we're turning from the false promises 
we gave our hearts to before. We're handing ourselves over to Jesus and his promises in the Bible. He is all we have. He is all we need. He is all we want. Francis Schaeffer said the early Christians were not persecuted because they worshipped Jesus. They were persecuted because they worshipped Jesus only. They did not include him. They clung to him even when they lost everything. That is living by faith and not by sight. That's why we're here. Now Luke 8, 22 through 25 clarifies living by faith. There are two questions in verse 25. And those two questions are my two main points. The first question is one that Jesus himself asks. And the second question is one that the disciples ask. So here's the first question from Jesus. Where is your faith? I'm so glad he didn't say, where is your omnipotence? Where is your impressiveness? I was really hoping you'd bring that to the table. Where is your brilliance? He didn't even ask, where is your obedience? Everything else will find a way to corrupt. But looking to Jesus, it's really hard to corrupt that. So that's why he asked, where is your faith? He didn't ask this question because he himself was some kind of above-it-all Superman. He had fallen asleep because he just put in a hard day's work and needed a nap. He knows personally, existentially, vividly, what it's like to get tired, to get hungry, to be tempted, to endure pain, to be lonely. He knows what it is to die. Our risen Lord above right now has vivid personal memories of everything that we're going through in this world. We can pour out our hearts to him about everything he understands. So his question here is not a scolding question. It's not a belittling question. He asked this question, where is your faith? Because he too lived by faith. He was saying, I've been sleeping by faith. I took a nap by faith. You guys have been rowing. I sure hope it's been by faith. He slept because he was trusting his father to get him across that lake and then on from there eventually to the cross. He believed God would get him there. He also believed that that same faith is for us too, which is why he asked this question. And if he's right, if we're bulletproof until it's our God-appointed time to die, why not believe it and relax? Why not sleep the sleep of faith? and row strokes of faith, and laugh the laugh of faith, and all the rest, and keep going no matter what. Jesus is right here with us in it all, right here at our side. Our faith doesn't make that real. Our faith receives that as real, savors that as real. Now, 
Hypothetically, for the sake of discussion, what if the boat had sunk right out there on that lake? I mean, the disciples weren't making this problem up. The Bible says they were in danger. These are experienced men. These, are, these men, their families were depending upon them to make a living out on that lake. And they, were, they, were, they had no life insurance. They had no backup plan. They had no government checks in the mail and so forth. These are real men with people depending upon them. They knew they were in trouble. But when Jesus asks, where is your faith? Another part of the question is, what's wrong with drowning? Do you like the movie, What About Bob? I love that movie. You remember Dr. Marvin asking Bob. So the question is, what is the crisis, Bob? What is it that you are truly afraid of? That's a great question. To restate the question for us. If the risen Jesus is here with us in our boat, so to speak, and something bad happens and it takes us out, that is going to happen, isn't it? When, not if, when we die, why not die by faith? I love how the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us to assess our chances. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That's a serious question, isn't it? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I love this. We love this. We revere this. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I'm such a baby. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's who we are. So we say to the devil with all his bluff, that's all he's got, bluff, and his swagger, and his grandiosity, and his big dealness, and his saber rattling, and his intimidation, we say, yes, I am sinful and weak, and sometimes really tired. But Jesus died and rose again for sinful, weak, tired sinners, and I belong to him, and you don't. Ha! Verse 24 says, Jesus rebuked the wind. And the raging waves, as if they were like a pack of mad dogs. So Jesus stands up in that little boat with all of his authority, and he rebukes the winds and the waves into compliance. Bad dogs, sit, stay. Stay. (laughs) 
everything gets really quiet. And there's not a ripple on that lake. And the boat stops rocking, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking Jesus is standing there and all the disciples are over on the upper other end of the boat, you know, <laughs> their eyes big as saucers. <laughs> it leads us to their question. Who then is this? Second question. Who is this? That's a good question too. When our experiences push us beyond our pet answers into new experiences of him, we start living by new faith. And we need that all the way, don't we? We're so grateful for the manna that fell yesterday. We need new manna today. We're going to need it tomorrow, and God's going to give it. We're always on that cutting edge of newness of life. A big part of the answer to the disciples' question is embedded in their own words. I wonder if they even realized it. Verse 25 goes on. He commands, the question is, who then is this? Okay. He commands and they obey. That's who he is. Jesus is the commander of all things and all things obey him. There's not one molecule in this universe defeating his commitment to us, counteracting his love for us. Every, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. What he meant was, everything is going my way. And therefore, everything is going our way. He was commanding the weather when it was storming. It obeyed him. He was commanding the weather when it was calm. It obeyed him. They were his disciples. That was his boat. That was his storm. It was his calm. Why not trust him and enjoy the ride? C.S. Lewis said, we are often in danger, but we have plenty of fun. <laughs> so who then is this? Well, for starters, he's the good shepherd. He's the light of the world. He's the lion and the lamb. He's the servant and the king. He's the redeemer. He's the sacrifice. He's the door. He's the way. He's the resurrection and the life. And we're not going to hold out for somebody better. Right? So in our world of crisis, Jesus is the commanding presence. Mighty to save. In our world of loss, Jesus is the commanding presence, mighty to save. In our world of death, Jesus is the commanding presence, mighty to save. Let's think of him as the commanding reality over all lesser realities because he is. So in all that's going on in this crazy world today, he's not panicking. Why should we? Why not stay steady and even rejoice our fool heads off while we walk through the upheaval of our times? Upheaval, God likes upheaval. He told us in Isaiah 40, every mountain is coming down. Every valley is coming up. The rough place is going to smooth them out and then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. As our culture goes into meltdown, on the one hand, we grieve all the human suffering that will be 
entailed in that. But at the same time, we know God is taking us toward the display of his glory. And the mountains of resistance and so forth, they've got to come down. They've got to come down. Here's some true stories, I close, of people like us in times like these living by faith. True stories. Here's what living by faith can look like. 1735, John Wesley is on board a ship going from England to the colonies and he doesn't really know Jesus yet. He's trying to buy his way in by his own good works. He just, it hasn't really landed. Grace hasn't come through yet. So on the same ship, there were some missionaries from Germany, Moravian missionaries. They were having a worship service, true story, worship service on the deck of the ship. When suddenly a violent storm broke out on that ship. Wesley wrote about it in his journal. Here's what he tells us happened. A terrible screaming began among the English passengers. But the Germans looked up, I love this, looked up and without intermission, calmly sang on. (laughs) I asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? He answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? He answered, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. And that was when John Wesley realized they had Jesus at a level he knew nothing of. And it cracked his heart open to experience and to receive the real Jesus. And several years later, that John Wesley was leading the first great awakening. (laughs) Our Serenity by faith in Christ as things get crazy might just lead the next John Wesley to Christ. Another true story. B.B. Warfield, Princeton theologian, writing an article about the Westminster Shorter Catechism. He wrote, We had the following bit of personal experience from a general officer of the United States Army. He was in a great western city at a time of intense excitement and violent rioting. Now, he doesn't tell us where this was. I'm guessing this was the great San Francisco earthquake of 1906, but I'm not sure. Okay? So, here's this army officer in this city, you know, rioting, mobs, looting, violence, crazy, buildings burning. The streets were overrun daily by a dangerous crowd. One day he observed approaching him a man of, only B.B. Warfield would say it this way, a man of singularly combined calmness and firmness whose very demeanor inspired confidence. So here's this army officer walking down the street. He sees a guy coming toward him who isn't just settled, centered. He's good. So impressed was he with this other man's bearing amid the surrounding uproar that when he had passed, he turned to look back at the man only to find that the stranger had done the same to him. On observing his turning, the stranger at once turned back and came to him and touching his chest with his fourth finger demanded without preface, what is the chief end of man? In the middle of a riot. Let's talk theology. 
On receiving the countersign, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Ah, said he, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy by your looks. (laughs) Why, that's just what I was thinking of you, was the rejoinder. And Warfield wrote, It is worthwhile to be a shorter catechism boy. They grow up to be men. And better than that, they are exceedingly apt to grow up to be men of God. Men and women who live by faith, not by sight. Amid the surrounding uproar. Last true story. My dear dad, greatest man I've ever known. Toward the end of his life, he got pulmonary fibrosis. As I understand it, his lungs became kind of hardened and leathery and couldn't process oxygen well. So he typically felt like he was being held under water. It was hard to breathe. And if he exerted himself very much, it, he just, it would take 10, 15 minutes of just heaving to catch his breath. So one of these episodes, he was down on the floor of his home there. My mom was there. She was obviously in great distress. He's fighting for breath. Mom is... Um, Let's just say she's in distress. And my dad, between breaths, says to my mom, No, Anne, no. Wow, listen to this. It's a gift. This is a gift. That's living by faith. And several months later, that wretched disease took my dad's life. Didn't take his faith. Right now can be a flag-planting moment for us together. Is there any one of us who wouldn't agree, oh, this is where we want to be? This is, this is what we all love and revere. Let's resolve right now, by God's grace, for his glory, come what may, we will treat the risen Christ as real. That's living by faith. We don't have to deserve that privilege. We don't have to work it up. We just receive it from him. He's right here. He is with us. And if we will live by that faith... We're going to bring hope to others, like John Wesley. We're going to raise kids with steel in their spine. And we are going to die magnificently. Amen? Amen. God be with you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Acts 29 podcast. And happy... Pastor Appreciation Month to all you pastors out there. We love you and support you. And we'll see you next week on the Acts 29 podcast. And remember, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches to the ends of the earth.